to look at Acts 7.56, where Stephen, when he was being martyred, he looked up into heaven and he said, I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Our Savior Christ, in the victory of His resurrection, today is in the heavens and on the throne of God. But is He there as God only, or is He enthroned also as a man? We will explore this profound item from the book of Hebrews on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. We'll also feature recorded portions of the Life Study message given by Witness Lee in 1975, followed by short discussions of those segments. And Ed Marks is here to join us again for that fellowship. And it's great to have you here to add your portion to this marvelous life study of Hebrews. Chris, it's a real privilege for me to participate in this life study broadcast. This particular life study of Hebrews was very special to Brother Lee. He felt like this may have been the top training on the books of the Bible that he conducted. We're looking forward to this broadcast, and we believe it'll be a big supply of Christ to everyone who listens. Yeah, and that's saying a lot there. Of course, we're 66 books covered over 21 years, so that's a high recommendation of this Life Study of Hebrews. And yes, it has been very special thus far, and we know it will continue. We've been given two keys, Ed, in the early programs of our Life Study of Hebrews. Number one, river crossers, and number two, seeing so great a salvation. As an introduction today, what are these two keys about and how are they connected? Yes, Chris, this is a good question. And just to review for our listeners, in order for us to understand the book of Hebrews, we need to look into the meaning of what it means to be a Hebrew. Now, in Genesis 14, verse 13, it says that Abraham was the first Hebrew. And then if we look at Exodus 9, verses 1 and 13, This tells us that God is the God of the Hebrews. Now, the root of the word Hebrew means to pass over. What it means, strictly speaking, is to pass over a river from one side of a river to another side of the river. So to be a Hebrew is to be a river crosser. Abraham was the first river crosser. If you look at Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, these verses tell us that Abraham lived at one time in the land of Chaldea, which is the land of idolatry. But he crossed over the Euphrates into the land of Canaan, which is the land of the worship of God, typifying the all-inclusive Christ as everything to us for our enjoyment and for our full salvation. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, it does apply. All of us Christians need to be the real Hebrews. We need to be the real river crossers. We need to cross over out of the region of idolatry, out of the region of the ritualistic service of the Old Testament, which can be religious forms, religious rituals, religious practice practices, anything of empty religion. We need to cross over the river into the land of the genuine worship of God, into the land of the all-inclusive Christ, where we enjoy him as everything so that we can be saved by him in a full way, saved in his life. For us to be saved in his life is for him to dispense himself into us and sanctify us, saturate our being with all that he is to make us men of life. This is how we connect these two great keys, river crossers and so great a salvation. 
Ed, before we join Witness Lee, I'd like to remind our listeners that the printed message of which we will be speaking and hearing today is available when they call our toll-free number. And once again, that number is one eight 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 life study It's our offering to you if you'll call that toll-free number. Let's join Witness Lee for today's marvelous life study from Hebrews. When we say Christ is the Son of God, we mean that He's God. The Son of God is not an other one other than God. He is not one other than God. Now, we come back again to the old problem. That is the matter of Trinity. According to the Bible, to deal with the matter of Trinity, there are two ways. One is the way of doctrine. One is the way of experience. Listen to me. I could give you a good illustration. In John chapter 14, one day Philip, one of the disciples, asked the Lord, Lord, show us the Father. Because you say, you Father, and you are here, and we like to see your Father. So show us the Father, then will be sufficed. This is a question according to doctrine. Could you see? Doctrinally speaking, the Son is the Son, and the Father is the Father. The Son now is talking to me, yet I haven't seen the Father. So I beg the Son to show me the Father. Doctrinally speaking, I ask. But the Lord Jesus rightly answered, not in the way of doctrine, but in the way of experience. <laughs> he said, what, Philip? I've been so long with you. You haven't seen the Father? Doctrinally speaking, the Father is not here. But experientially speaking, the Father is here. Don't you see me say it? Amen. If you see me, you see the Father. Could you see this? The answer was in the way of experience. Not as the question in the way of doctrine. Philip asked a question concerning the father and the son in the way of doctrine mentally. But the Lord Jesus answered something concerning the Son and the Father in the way of experience. Yeah, in the way of experience. She didn't say this, she didn't say that. She checked with Philip, how about your experience? What? You still ask me to show you the Father? Haven't you seen him? I've been so long with you. You haven't seen me? Uh, amen. As long as you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Amen. In doctrine, the Father and the Son are two. In experience, when you see the Son, you see the Father. Amen. Today, the same. The Father's in you, the Son is in you, and the Spirit is in you. Doctrinally speaking, the Father in you, the Son in you, and the Spirit in you. Experientially speaking, how many are in you? One. 
Now you got it. To be doctrinal is one thing. To be experiential is another thing. Yet on the one hand, as Christians, of course we accept and even promote the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is good and proper. We, sh- we need to do this. But on the other hand, there's an experiential apprehension of the triune God that causes us not only to believe in the Trinity, but to have a deep appreciation of God for being triune. What brings about this love and appreciation of the triune God? Well, Chris, in Isaiah 9, 6, this is a prophecy concerning the triune God's becoming a man in the person of Christ. And it says, his name shall be called Wonderful. Actually, this word wonderful in the Hebrew means incomprehensible. Christ, the triune God, in his becoming a man, he is incomprehensible. And Martin Luther even told us, if you can explain the triune God in a full way, you must be the teacher of God. In other words, Luther recognized that the Trinity is something far beyond our limited mental comprehension. The divine Trinity is a mystery. This means that we should simply accept what the Bible says about the triune God and say amen to what the Bible says. Now, what brings about our love and appreciation of the mysterious triune God? Well, what brings about this love and appreciation is we need revelation. We need to see him. Our inner eyes, the eyes of our heart need to be open to see him. And I would just like to say to our listeners, you know, doctrinal understanding is much different from revelation. You remember at the end of the book of Job, Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. There's one thing to hear about God and know doctrinal facts, but we need a life-changing revelation of the triune God. We need to see him. This is why day by day, according to Ephesians 1.17, we need to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see the triune God who indwells our spirit. Now, I would just say this. What does the Bible reveal about the triune God? Well, the Bible reveals that God is triune to dispense himself into us so that we can enjoy him experience him, and be filled with him to express him. Let me just say very briefly, the Bible reveals that the Father is the source of life. John 5, 26 shows us this. The Son is the embodiment of life. John 1, 4 shows us this. And the Spirit is the giver of life. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty five shows us this. So the Father, God the Father, is embodied in God the Son and realized as God the Spirit to give himself as life into our inward being so we could be filled with him as life and become his expression. This is what the Bible reveals about the marvelous triune God whom we love and appreciate to the uttermost. Ed, that's a marvelous, as you said, revelation in our experience when we apprehend, when we contact, when we touch him, our heart is touched so deeply to love him in his marvelous triune being. Thank you for your fellowship. Let's go back to Witness Lee. So great the salvation, great in what Christ is. He is the Son of God. 
He's the Son of God, and He's God Himself. Christ is the very God, and He is also the very man. I was saved for years. I never was told that my Savior was one who was as well as God and man. I was only told that he was the Son of God, even not so clear that he was God. Even the more, I was never told that he today is man as well as God. We all have to believe that today our Jesus is both God and man. He is man as well as God, a wonderful person. Some Christians, even the so-called co-workers, tried to argue with me, saying, before he died, he was a man. But after he resurrected and ascended to the heavens, he became no man. Then I said, where his humanity would Oh, they argue with me. They said, today Jesus in the heavens is no more man. Third concept is that when Jesus got resurrected, Jesus stripped off his humanity. So they argue with me. This was the reason I wrote that hymn, low in heaven. There is a man, Jesus said. I wrote that hymn purposely for that kind of opposition. In a sense, that is heresy. In my argument with them, I pointed out to them, I said, if Jesus today in heaven is not the Son of Man, why Stephen saw him? After his ascension, Stephen saw the Son of Man, and uh, Timothy, it says, the man Jesus. Our Savior today is the man Jesus. Jesus today is still a man, but a resurrected man, a lifted up man, a man much, much lifted. The qualification of Jesus to be our Savior is that he is both God and man. Our Savior is so much qualified. He's not only God, but also he's man. This is why the salvation is so great. Great in what Christ is. Ed, once again, this life study of Hebrews is forcing us to go deeper than just a shallow understanding of the Bible. In his ascension, Christ occupies an exalted position in the heavens. Some teach that this is Christ in his deity as the second of the Godhead and that he was stripped of his humanity in death and resurrection. Ed, is this a correct understanding? And if not, why does it matter whether he is there in his humanity or just his deity? 
Okay, firstly, Chris, it is not correct to say that when Christ died, resurrected, and ascended that he stripped off his humanity. As Brother Lee shares with us in this broadcast, of course, just to support this fact, you have to look at Acts 7.56, where Stephen, when he was being martyred, he looked up into heaven and he said, I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. This means in his ascension, he is still a man. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Uh, in Revelation 1, verses 11 through 15, we see that Christ, in his ascension, is caring for the churches, walking in their midst, not just as God, but as the Son of Man. In Matthew 26, 64, Christ told the high priest that he would come back as the Son of Man. By all these verses, we see that Christ is still a man. He is the complete God, and he is the perfect man. Now, the second part of this question is, why does it matter whether he is there in his humanity or not? Well, it does matter tremendously, because without his being a man, he cannot accomplish his eternal purpose. What is God's eternal purpose? God's heart's desire is to have a God-man. The first God-man was Jesus Christ. He was the complete God and the perfect man. He went through a wonderful process. He became the life-giving spirit to dispense himself into us so that we could become his body. What is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is a corporate God-man. It is a corporate manifestation of God in the flesh. This wonderful God-man wants to dispense himself in his divinity and with his humanity into our being to make us a corporate God-man for his expression. This is why he needs to be a man. Without his becoming a man, he cannot accomplish his eternal purpose. Thank you, Ed. Let's go back to Witness Lee for the conclusion of today's life study. Now, we come to the captain, captain of salvation. For you to be saved from hell, you don't need a captain. But I tell you, for you to enter into the glory, for you to enter into the good land of rest, you need the captain. God's salvation is not merely to rescue you from hell and put you into heaven. Not in that way. God's salvation is to save you from all negative things and to bring you into glory. Into a glorious rest. This kind of salvation is not an overnight matter. It is a matter of your whole life. You need to follow your captain for the children of Israel to get out of Egypt. That was overnight. Really, that was overnight. On the day of Passover, in the night time, they passed through the river. They got out of Egypt overnight. But for them to enter into the good land of rest, 
they needed to follow their captain. Firstly, they followed Moses. Continually, they followed Joshua. It is so clear that for them, for their salvation, there was a captain. First Moses, then Joshua, they surely followed that captain. They did have a captain of salvation. And we all know this word captain not only means a leader, but also means a fighter. This leader as a captain is fighting the way. He's not only cutting the way, he's not only paving the way, he's fighting the way. Amen. You read your Bible, you could see from the day they started to walk out of Egypt, they started the fighting. And this is why the children of Israel were called the army of Jehovah. Amen. They were the army. They fought into the good land. So they needed capital to lead them to go on by fighting on. Since the day you got saved, since the day you got reborn, since the day you got justified and forgiven, the fight has started already. You all have to fight the battle Amen. under the captain. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We do have a captain. Amen. Jesus, Amen. our Savior, Amen. today is the fighting captain. He's fighting. And we have to follow him in fighting. 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 Every inch. Every inch, every inch of the way we work is by fighting. And this is the captain of salvation. I tell you, if you don't have this included, your salvation is not so great. Hallelujah. So great is salvation. With Christ, not only as the son of God, as God, not only as the son of man, as man, but also as the captain of salvation, taking the lead and fighting the way for us to follow him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Ed, this was a marvelous section as a kind of an appetizer, I would say, to a program that we have coming up dealing in more detail with the captain of our salvation. But let me ask you, why does a Christian need Christ to be his captain of salvation since he's already saved? Well, uh, first of all, we would say this. Hebrews tells us that Christ is the captain of our salvation, and he is leading us as the many sons into glory. Now, uh, surely we're saved, but we're just initially saved. When we received Christ as our Savior, he came into our spirit, and we were regenerated. We were born again. We have him as our life. But we need a continual, daily, moment-by-moment salvation. We need Christ to be to come out from our spirit into our mind, emotion, and will to save our soul to save us by leading us into glory. Now, uh, 
I would just like to say to our listeners, it's very encouraging to realize that we have Christ as our captain in our spirit. This means that he is in us as a fighter. He is fighting within us to save us. Even right now, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, you may feel like you're really out of it today in sin. You're in darkness. You're in death. But you need to realize right now as you're listening, Christ is fighting for you. And he's fighting in you to save you right now. And he saves us by leading us into glory. This means as we open to him, as we say, Lord Jesus, I just turn my heart to you. I like to open to you. Thank you. You're fighting within me to save me. I open to you as the captain of my salvation. Save me right now by dispensing yourself into me. So how he does this is he saves us by dispensing himself into us and he doesn't just regenerate us, but he sanctifies us, he transforms us, he conforms us to his image, and eventually he glorifies us until we're fully brought into the glory of his life. And this is his full, complete salvation. Every day, we need to experience and enjoy him as the captain, the fighter for our salvation. Ed, this book of Hebrews unveils so many aspects of Christ that we really don't get to see anywhere else. There are so many Christians that for whatever reason, because it's somewhat mysterious or they're unsure about who these Hebrews really are, they tend to neglect and avoid this book. But we really pray that these life study programs and these messages that we're presenting will draw all the listeners into the riches that we're finding in these tremendous life studies. Would you concur with that? Yes, absolutely, Chris. Thanks, Ed. Join us again very soon. Amen. And we hope you join us again tomorrow. Before we go, let me remind you again that the printed message from today's Life Study program is available to you when you call our toll-free number. Once again, that is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Ask for it when you write to us also at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or when you send your email to radio at lsm.org. We would invite you today to also visit our website. It's located on the World Wide Web, www.lsm.org. There's a lot of interesting material there and portions even of the written ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Information about books available. Also, from there, you can access the radio web page. And at that point, you can download and listen to any of our previous programs from the Life Study of John and Life Study of Genesis or the recently completed Life Study of Romans. That's all available at our website, which is www.lsm.org. We will be back tomorrow with another Life Study from Hebrews with Witness Lee. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today.